This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. We have to all be very clear about this. The problem is North Korea's actions, which are threatening, which are disturbing and endangering the security of the region and of the world. All right, that's uh, Canada's position on uh, what's going on with North Korea. Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland commenting today. Uh, Here's one more from the minister. It is important to be clear from the Canadian perspective that we stand by our allies when they are threatened, very much including the United States. Having said that, I think that we need to seek ways to de-escalate the situation. Well, let's hope we can. I think in large part the ball is in North Korea's court, unless maybe we somehow accidentally stumble into a conflict here. A tweet today from U.S. President Donald Trump, quote, Military solutions are now fully in place, locked and loaded, should North Korea act unwisely. Hopefully, Kim Jong-un will find another path. I mean, there is the very real prospect, though, that North Korea could have the capability to place nuclear warheads on intercontinental ballistic missiles and reach Canada or the U.S. uh, with those missiles. That's a big threat. In the short term, North Korea has seemingly threatened to attack Guam, a U.S. territory. And I mean, obviously that would require some kind of a response from the United States. So how do we de-escalate this situation? Uh, How far along are we? How close to war are we? And what are the options then in terms of dealing with the North Koreans? Because it doesn't appear as though, and maybe we've learned that over the last two decades, there aren't a lot of easy answers to the North Korea problem. Well, joining us uh, for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome the program Tom Nichols, He's a professor at the U.S. Naval War College and at the Harvard Extension School. Is also author of the book, The Death of Expertise. Tom, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Good to be with you, Rob. Uh, you know, in the minds of some, it seems like a nuclear war may be imminent. Uh, maybe this will, will calm itself down. I mean, what, what's your sense of where things are at here today? Well, uh, as always, I don't speak for the U.S. government, Rob, but I, I think people should be a little more calm. Nuclear war isn't imminent. There is no short-term crisis that needs to be solved right at this moment. What, what's happened is we're much further down along the road of the North Koreans being closer to a nuclear-tipped ICBM, which is a genuine threat to the United States, to Canada, uh, to international peace and security. We're not there yet, but we now know that the North Koreans have made significant problems on both ends of that engineering dilemma, which is a long-term missile and a warhead short, uh, small enough to put onto it. So we're, we're, we're coming to a day of decision, but we're not there yet. Right, but should that represent a, a red line of sorts? If, if North Korea possesses that capability, is that something we just can't really live with? I, I don't think there's any American administration that would have been willing to live with a North Korean ICBM uh, of either party, to be honest with you. And so to me, per, again, personally, that that's a red line. That is something that uh, would end any hope of diplomacy. But I think 
the North Koreans, the, the nuclear horse is out of the barn. You're not going to denuclearize North Korea, North Korea. But I do think there's still room to convince the North Koreans to freeze this whole missile idea, to not test any further, not to try to put a bomb on top of a missile. Uh, because I think then, not just for the United States, for a lot of countries in the region, uh, in Asia as well, that um, a nuclear, an ICBM, uh, nuclear-armed North Korea is just unacceptable. Right. And and that means uh, taking a delicate approach, I suppose, certainly being firm and, and uh, letting the North Koreans know that certain things won't be tolerated, uh, but also not needlessly escalating things. What's your assessment uh, of how the Trump administration has responded this week? Well, my biggest concern, and again, just my own view, but my biggest concern is that the Trump administration, that the president tends to speak extemporaneously about these things. And nuclear weapons and conflict are not things you want to speak about extemporaneously. You want to make sure that all of the uh, various parts of the bureaucracy and the national security process are all on the same page. When the State Department spokesman has to come out and say, we're all on the same page, it's probably an indication that they're not all on the same page because she felt the need to say it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think part of speaking softly and carrying a big stick is speaking softly. With that said, I think you can understand the frustration of the Trump administration uh, because American administrations of both parties for 25 years have been trying to solve this problem. And the North Korean march toward nuclear weapons and a nuclear missile ha- has just been unstoppable. Uh, so I, I think I can, you can see where Americans and our allies, I imagine a lot of Canadians, are pretty frustrated with this whole process because nothing seems to work with the North Koreans. Well, yeah, I mean, that is frustrating. I mean, certainly it indicates that the approach of the last couple of decades has not worked, but it obviously doesn't mean that there's an obvious answer here, that uh, maybe there there are no easy right. answers, right? Well, I, as I always tell my students about foreign policy, I think, you know, we tend to be an optimistic people, you know, Americans, Canadians, we tend to think, well, there's a solution, we can negotiate. Sometimes all the options are bad. And what you're really doing is you're searching for the least bad option. And I think people who immediately default to a military solution forget that no matter what happens, there's going to be a huge amount of destruction in Seoul and in uh, South Korea. Uh, You know, we're we're talking about millions of lives here. So we have to be very careful about exactly what sort of threats we're willing to make and what sort of threats we're willing to carry out. And, uh, again, I think the, the way the clock is running now uh, we're not up against that deadline yet. I, I don't think we're in it. You know, the, I think people are too loosely using words like Cuban Missile Crisis. I think we should stop doing that. Um, but there's, and I think there's still time to negotiate. But once uh, an operational Korean ICBM uh, comes into being, I think then you know that's going to change a lot of things. So hopefully we can stave that off. One thing diplomacy has done is is drag this out and lengthen the time for negotiation which has also worked to the Koreans' advantage, but um, at least, you know, we haven't been faced with this problem sooner than we have, but let's hope there's still time to stop an even worse problem down the road. Well, what about the the apparent threats against Guam? Because it it seems at that point maybe we could stumble into a conflict if the North Koreans were foolish enough to attack U.S. territory. That would obviously necessitate an American response, and and off we go. No, it would be an act of war against the United States. I don't think that's what the North Koreans want. I think they're uh, trying to play a, a you know tit for tat bluster game with the president, which I don't think is uh, wise on anybody's part. Uh, this is not even the worst uh, threat that the North Koreans have made over the years. I mean, ten, ten or eleven years ago, they threatened to nuke uh, joint 
U.S. Uh, South Korean exercises when we sent the USS George Washington uh, to South Korea. So th- this is kind of standard issue for the South Koreans. If they actually did it, then yes, we're in a whole new ballgame. Then you've had a direct attack against sovereign American territory. And uh, I think the North Koreans understand what that would mean. But they're, they're, that's, that's the nature of their rhetoric. Uh, so we've seen this week what seems like improvisation on the part of the president and confusion over how seriously to take his comments. On the other hand, though, I mean, he is surrounded by pretty serious people, notably his defense secretary, General Mattis, his national security advisor, uh, General McMaster. Uh, does it seem as though, in your view, he's he's getting good advice? Oh, I, I'm going to assume, knowing what we know of uh, people like um, James Mattis and H.R. McMaster, that he's getting some of the very best advice that uh, that the American system can provide. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that those uh, people are there. I'm a little worried about how uh, much Rex Tillerson seems cut out of this process uh, and seems kind of brought in to back clean up after, you know, there's uh, all of this rhetoric flying around. Um, as, as somebody who thinks that diplomacy still has a chance, I wish the Secretary of State were a little more front and center here. Um, but I think these are all very reasonable people. Whether the question, whether the president wishes to, I, I don't know. That's his prerogative. He's the president of the United States, and it's up to him. Uh, but I think you know the people that there are people around him. I, I think there are also people around him who are very good, but I don't think their voices are predominating right now. So right. Um, I, I think that he's getting good advice from the people that, well, that matter. Yeah. I mean, it certainly appears as though the U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, almost in a way, it seems like she's secretary of state some days, but certainly as, as U.N. ambassador has played a big role and obviously getting the uh, unanimous vote on Security Council regarding sanctions in North Korea. I mean, that, that was significant. And, and credit where it's due to the Trump administration for all the criticisms that people like me or others may have about uh, the national security approach in this early administration. Nikki Haley, has said this many times before, she is the bright spot in this otherwise bleak national security picture uh, and, you know, is really running a, a great operation at the United Nations. Unfortunately, the U.N. ambassador tends to be the least powerful member of any national security team. I, I uh, worked with Gene Kirkpatrick many years ago, um, you know, who was well-respected by Ronald Reagan, but not at the center of the foreign policy team. I think Samantha Power always had a better foreign policy than Barack Obama, but was always overruled on that. That's just a function of the U.N. ambassador being in New York, uh, where I think that they can actually carry out a more coherent foreign policy than, than sometimes Washington can allow uh, because of its own internal strife. But yes, I think Ambassador Haley has put forward a very clear foreign policy at the United Nations, and I wish uh, that it were more representative of the overall foreign policy of the United States. All right. So in, in your view, then, there, there's still time to diffuse this situation and, and put some, some pressure on, on North Korea, but to do so in, in a responsible way. Right. Because when we even when we talk and use the language of diffusing a situation, there's nothing actually ticking right now. This is, uh, like, the, say, the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the president where President Kennedy knew that within 10 or 12 days, air defenses would become operational, that within a few days, these nuclear uh, weapons in Cuba would have become operational. There is no deadline that we're up against. So in some sense, this is, you know, a, a crisis of our own creation, simply by the fact that we're calling it one. Whereas, uh, again, I think that 
you know, we should just go on with the process of diplomacy, keep working with the Chinese, work with our allies in the region, uh, and not create artificial deadlines for ourselves. If the North Koreans get to the point where they say, we are testing an actual nuclear-capable ICBM, uh, you know, we're actually going to deploy this thing, we're building it, then, then the clock starts ticking because there's a day zero where you know that missile is going to become operational. Then I think we're in a different world, but I just don't think we're in that one yet. Unless, and I should add, unless there's some development underway that I don't know about, which is always, you know, a possibility. But I don't see that happening right now. Yeah, well, an important caveat. Uh, some great insight, as always. Uh, Tom, let folks know you got a couple of uh, op-eds this week on the subject. One at uh, thefederalist.com, also one at usatoday.com. And we'll mention the book again, of course, uh, The Death of Expertise, The Campaign Against Established Knowledge and Why It Matters. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Thanks again for having me, Rob. All right, there you go. Tom Nichols, uh, professor of the U.S. Naval War College, author of The Death of Expertise, contributor at thefederalist.com, and he's also got a piece up this week at usatoday.com on the North Korea situation. 403-974-8255. Some comments as well this afternoon, following up on that tweet this morning from the U.S. president. We'll get to that. I've got some other stuff to get to as well. Uh, Break here first, though. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.